This is Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd. We are just about through August. I know on next Wednesday, I will have a 23-year-old. I can't believe my daughter will be 23 years old uh, coming up. Yes, she was born on Halloween. Man, how the time flies, 23 years old. But hey, I got to say I'm blessed. I was able to be here to see her reach 23, God willing. You know, again, that's next Wednesday, but God willing, I'll still be here to see her reach 23 years old. Uh, So that in itself is a blessing. I got to tell you, there were some hard times between she and I. Anybody that's ever raised a daughter, especially a teenage daughter, will tell you how difficult those times can be when you're raising uh, a young lady into a woman. But at any rate, I'm so happy. I'm so blessed. Uh, that she'll be 23. I'm almost an em- empty nester, as they say. My son, you know, 17. He's about to turn 18, about to graduate. He'll be on to bigger and better things, and I will be an empty nester. Uh, but that's not what this show's about, of course. This isn't the Dr. Phil show talking about kids. This is Beyond the Badge, and we cover police issues affecting this country. Not only Locally, but nationally. Uh, But I want to give it a local feel here for just a few minutes. And I want to talk about something that happened here in Georgia this past Saturday, actually in Gwinnett County, which is only about 20 miles or so from me, depending on which part of Gwinnett County uh, that you're in. So it's just outside of Atlanta. It's a small suburb. Well, not really small, actually. Gwinnett County's actually pretty big. Uh, but it doesn't have, if you will, the amount of people. Definitely the traffic doesn't have the the crime, if you will, of a, uh, a metro Atlanta, let's say. So this past Saturday, imagine, you know, you're you're a young guy. You're about... 27 years old, you're living out in California, you want to get into law enforcement, you want to get on a department that's probably not too fast-paced so you can get a feel for policing and probably move on to a bigger department like an Atlanta PD or LAPD or a Chicago or New York uh, police department. So you move to Georgia, you get accepted with the Gwinnett County uh, Police Department, I'll I'll be honest, I know what they make. They don't make a lot of money, so you're definitely not in it for the money, but you're in it because you love the job. Now, again, Gwinnett County doesn't have the people, the traffic, doesn't have really the crime you would hear of in a South Atlanta, per se. But it does have crime, i.e., that's why they have a police department. So this past Saturday... And I'm really torn up about it because it really didn't get the coverage it needed, but I think it would have had it gone a different way. Uh, There was a police officer, that young guy who was 30 years old, who had three years on the police department. Uh, 
officer Antoine Tony, who was shot and later died. I believe he died uh, later at the hospital by a group of individuals in a car. Now, police had received a call about a suspicious vehicle by a school on a Saturday. That is suspicious. It's Saturday. There's no other vehicles there but this vehicle. So as Officer Tony and his partner approached, the individuals in the car opened fire and they struck Officer Tony. I don't know exactly where he was shot. Obviously, it wasn't in his vest uh, because he's no longer here. Uh, so there was this big manhunt. The car fled the scene. Uh, one individual got out, pointed a gun at another officer. The officer used deadly force. He missed the guy. He ran into the woods. They tracked him down. Now, on yesterday, this was just yesterday, on Monday, they tracked the other suspect down who they believe fired the shot that killed Officer Tony. He was in a shed. Police were searching. They found him in a shed. He had a knife in his hand. They tried to tase him. Didn't work. So they used deadly force. Now, deadly force because he had a knife. The taser, that was just for show, in my opinion, because you don't have to use a taser when someone is armed with a object that can be used for deadly force. Again, you meet deadly force with deadly force. So he's killed. The picture of the suspect who was killed got more airtime, more airtime than the officer that was killed. Now, keep in mind, they're both the same color. The officer was black. The suspect was black. But the picture of the suspect got more airtime and more discussion than this young 30-year-old officer who had only been on the job for three years, who had moved from across the country because policing is what he wanted to do, and he got accepted with the Gwinnett County Police Department. And the suspect who killed this police officer gets more airtime than the police officer. Now, I've said it before. I'll say it again. And there's another case I want to cover. Let's reverse these roles. And let's say that Antoine Tony wasn't a police officer. And he was shot and killed by police or scratch that. Let's say that the individuals in the car who were armed with guns, who were armed with guns, who fired at police. Let's say they were shot and killed right there on the spot. Imagine the uproar. Imagine the backlash from certain groups. Imagine the response. Now, let's just say Antoine Tony was just a typical citizen, encountered police, he was shot and killed, it would be on CNN, MSNBC, it would be on all the major media, the New York Post, the Washington Post, you'd hear the stories again that police shoot black man in Atlanta, Georgia, and it would be this huge hoopla but because Antoine Tony was a sworn police officer, he gets little to no airtime. He gets little to no airtime about his life, his situation, 
But again, had he just been the ordinary Joe, we would see the Easter picture with Grandma. We would see the picture smiling with the kids. We would see all of this stuff. But because he was tasked with serving and protecting, which is what he did that day, he was serving because someone called for service. He was protecting because these guys were armed with a gun, with guns, I should say, because he was doing that. His story doesn't mean a hill of beans to anybody, not the Black Lives Matter movement, but their whole premise, right, is that black lives matter. I didn't see a protest in Gwinnett County this past weekend. I didn't see one down in Atlanta on the 14th Street Bridge where I've seen them in the past. I didn't see anything like a protest or a rally or anything like this. But all black lives matter, right? Unless, and I know this firsthand, unless you're wearing a blue uniform. But it's not just here in Georgia. I go back to Florence, South Carolina, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember because I talked about it on this show because another black police officer was killed a couple of weeks ago during an ambush that started as a domestic dispute. No, no, no. Officers were going to arrest this guy on a sexual assault warrant. His dad opened fire, uh, opened fire on a bunch of these uh, officers, ends up killing uh, police sergeant Terrence Caraway. You may remember I talked about it. And again, his story didn't get the coverage it deserved or if the roles were reversed. Well, to go along with that, a second police officer in Florence has died from their wounds. Her name is uh, Deputy Farah B. Turner. She died just yesterday, just yesterday, but I assure you, You haven't heard this story because it doesn't fit the narrative that the mainstream media has been shoving down our throat for the last several years. So if you say black lives matter, then didn't Antoine Tony's life matter? Didn't Farrah Turner's life matter? You haven't heard anything about her. She's a young black woman. I assume she's got a brother, a sister, uncles, cousins, mother, father that really care about her, that cared about her life, that cared about and feared what she was doing on a daily basis because they know the job of a police officer. They know how stuff can go from zero to 100 in less than a second. But where's the outrage? Where's the outcry from the Black Lives Matter movement? Where's the outcry from the left? When we're in this political climate of everything being black and white, and you hear so many times, especially on CNN or MSNBC, this term that just drives me crazy, old white men, old white men, old white men, and they're painting this picture that everybody is so racist. We're in this climate that black is right and we need this for the black community. Well, these officers, here's a bombshell. These officers were part of the black 
community. You know why they were a part of the black community? I'll tell you, because they were black. So if we're saying that the black community means so much, where is the outrage? Where are the protest? Where is it? Well, it doesn't exist simply because anybody, black, white, Chinese, Hispanic, whatever you are, anybody that is in law enforcement is seen as the enemy. And I I definitely don't want to make this show political, but I, I think about Tallahassee and there's a guy down there that's running for governor. Uh, Andrew Gilliam. He's running for governor, mayor of Tallahassee. Now, listen, my folks are from Tallahassee. Tallahassee is pretty big, 200, 300,000 people in it, college town, whatever. But it has the highest crime rate in the entire state of Florida, the entire state of Florida. So this guy who's running for governor, the current mayor of Tallahassee, basically said, I don't care about police because they're not here for the black community. So he signs this pledge from this group called the Dream Defenders. Now, if you don't know who they are, I urge you to look them up. But they're a very radical group who don't believe in policing, who don't believe in prisons. They say that police and prisons have always been just something to keep the black man down. Well, I would counter that and say, well, if the black man doesn't commit crime, the black man doesn't go to prison. This black man has never been to prison because I've never committed a crime. So this Andrew Gillum signs this pledge that basically says um, police were never meant to serve me and you police and prisons since their founding have always been about safety for the haves while wreaking havoc for the have not. So he signs this, but then during the, the debate swears he doesn't know what his opponent is talking about. Imagine that. He, so he signs this, but he wants to be the governor of the entire state, a state that has hundreds and hundreds of law enforcement agencies, thousands and thousands of law enforcement officials. And he wants to be the governor of that state. Think back to the mass shooting at the school. Think back to all the stuff that has happened in Florida that law enforcement were key in stopping. So this guy wants to be basically in charge of all of that. And we're supposed to be okay with that. So he would rather not only have the city of Tallahassee have the highest crime rate. What does he want the state to have the highest crime rate? Because if you're saying that you don't support police, why in the world would I want you to be the governor of this state? That's going to lead it to a higher crime rate. Because if you sign this little pledge When you get in that office, if you get in that office, you're going to start making policies that tie the hands of police officers for your constituents. And what it's going to do, it's going to affect the average citizen who really wants to be safe. And it has nothing to do with the haves 
versus the have nots. It has to do with everyone's given right to feel safe, whether you make four million dollars a year or forty thousand dollars a year. Everyone has the right to feel safe. So when you come in as governor and you start making these little changes and you start pushing for police reform because you think it's going to get you votes in the end, you're not helping anything besides your own political agenda. You're definitely not helping the 90-year-old grandmother who now has to fear just walking down the street to the corner store because police hands are so tied that they can't approach someone if they suspect they're up to a crime. And if they look a certain way, then you can't do that because it's seen as racism or it's seen as profiling or it's seen as bias. Now, I don't live in the state of Florida. Don't plan on living in the state of Florida. I love to visit the state of Florida. Like I said, my parents are from there. I got nephews. I got cousins. I got uncles. I got aunts that still live in Florida. They live in Tallahassee. I know which way they swing on the political ballot. So I know they will probably vote for this guy. But in good conscience, if I was in the state of Florida, especially being former law enforcement, and you tell me, A, I don't give a crap about you, and B, once I get in office, I'm going to change everything that you're allowed to do right now, and I'm going to make it really impossible for you to be a police officer. You'll just be a a guy with a a badge and a gun who can't do anything. There's no way in the world I would vote for you. There's officers across this country dying daily. There's officers in the state of Florida who have died recently. There were two black officers last year in the state of Florida who were shot and killed by a black man. And now this guy, Andrew Gilliam, is saying he wants to come in. He's anti-police. That is a slap in the face to every law-abiding citizen, whether you're conservative, liberal, independent, whatever you are. That is a slap in the face that this guy will say, I don't care about your safety. I don't care about the the safety of the state of Florida. I just care about getting votes. And I know if I align myself with groups like this, these will get me the votes to get in the office because I'm anti-Trump and I'm anti-GOP. So therefore, if I align myself with these groups, I will become the first black governor in the state of Florida. If you can't see that this is what that's all about, there's something wrong with you. Because keep in mind, he can say he's anti-police. He can say he's anti-law enforcement. He can say that until he's blue in the face. But keep in mind, that governor's mansion is filled with law enforcement officers on that governor's detail. When the governor leaves that office, that governor's house to go to a meeting, to go to Burger King, to go to Starbucks. It's law enforcement that put their lives on the line to protect that governor. I wonder how that would work for his security detail. I wonder how those officers that are sworn to protect his life and his family's life would feel if this guy gets into the governor's house in the state of Florida. 
Because all of these people on the left that say, oh, abolish this, abolish that. We need to do this. We need police reform this. All of those people are protected by law enforcement officials. But yet, they spit in their face every day. Think about that. All right, I want to switch gears. So, um, taking it out to Detroit, Michigan, there is a former Michigan State Trooper, Mark Bessner, who's going on trial this week. Actually, we'll be covering it on the Law and Crime Network. Uh, He's being charged with one count of second-degree murder, two counts of involuntary manslaughter for the death of 15-year-old Damon Grimes. Now, this is not the typical story that we hear uh, when a police officer is going on trial for the murder. Give you the background, white state trooper, Michigan state trooper, 15-year-old Damon Grimes. Uh, The date of his death was August 26, 2017. So this is actually going to uh, trial pretty quick. But the the gist of it, and I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. I understand he violated department policy, but I think this is a bit of a stretch. And I think it's more of a political issue uh, and definitely a racial issue. So for whatever reason, uh, police were chasing uh, Damon Grimes. He was on an ATV four-wheeler. The officer tased the teen while he was chasing him, pulled his taser out, uh, extended his arm outside of the vehicle, shot the taser. He crashed into the back of a truck. He later died from his injuries. Now, again, he did violate department policy. You're not supposed to deploy a weapon from a moving vehicle, including a taser. So second degree murder, two counts of involuntary manslaughter, I don't see personally the second degree murder charge sticking, maybe the involuntary manslaughter because his actions on that day led to the teen's death. Um, But I will say quite simply, if you don't flee from police, you don't put yourself in danger. Now, I'm not making excuses for him violating uh, department policy. If that's what he did, he should pay the consequences for that. And again, his actions uh, deploying that taser did cause the teen to crash into the truck and it did later cause his death. So that's something uh, we'll be covering on the Law and Crime Network. I'm actually anchoring this coming Friday from 9 to 12. I believe that trial starts tomorrow on Wednesday, I think, our opening statements. So I'll be real curious to see how this trial goes. Of course, if you remember, Jason Van Dyke in Chicago was found guilty of murder of Laquan McDonald. But those were totally different circumstances. Uh, He shot Laquan 16 times. Uh, It was caught on dash cam footage. These were totally different circumstances of that shooting. And of course, Roy Oliver in Texas was found guilty of the murder of... uh, Jason Edwards, uh, again, different circumstances. So you have to weigh all of that when you're looking at the evidence. Uh, But the evidence in this case, personally, not strong enough for second degree murder. Uh, Maybe the involuntary manslaughter, if the prosecution can present a compelling case. But it's up to the hands of the jury, of course. So uh, if you 
don't know, again, Law and Crime Network, we're going to cover that trial fully. Go to lawandcrime.com. I'll be anchoring this Friday from noon or from nine until noon. All right. It is about that time. And uh, for my 10 7 segment, and I mentioned this case at the top of the show, uh, Officer Antoine Tony, Gwinnett County Police Department, Gwinnett County, Georgia. Again, that's just about 20 miles from where I live here in Atlanta. Police officer Antoine Tony was shot and killed as he and another officer investigated reports of a suspicious vehicle near the intersection of Bethany Church Road and Silo Road at approximately 3 p.m. on Saturday. As the officers approached the vehicle, at least one person inside opened fire, shooting through the vehicle's windows. Officer Tony was struck as he and the other officer returned fire. The vehicle crashed a short, short distance away and its four occupants fled on foot. One of the suspects was apprehended later in the afternoon after shooting at an officer who was searching for him. The subject, believed to have been the one to shoot Officer Tony, was shot and killed on October 22nd after being located hiding in a shed in, in the Snellville area. He was shot after refusing to obey commands while armed with a Larn Moore blade. Officer Tony was transported to Gwinnett Medical Center where he succumbed to his wounds. Officer Tony had served with the Gwinnett County Police Department for three years. And I also want to honor Investigator Farrah Turner, Florence County Sheriff's Office, Florence, South Carolina. Her end of watch was Monday, yesterday, October 22nd, 2018. Officer Farrah Turner suffered fatal gunshot wounds when she and other investigators from the Florence County Sheriff's Office arrived at a home to interview a suspect as part of a sex offense investigation. Another subject inside the house opened fire on the deputies as they approached the house, wounding all three. The subject remained barricaded inside of his home for two hours before being taken into custody. All of the wounded officers were transported to a local hospital where Sergeant Carraway succumbed to his wounds. Investigator Turner underwent nine surgeries and remained in critical condition until succumbing to her wounds on Monday, October 22, 2018. Two heroes, two heroes that I just read about, two heroes that deserve the media coverage of some suspect who's killed at the hands of police because of their actions. Two heroes. If they can't get the media coverage, I'll give them the coverage. I want to thank you for listening. As always, we're almost at a million. Can you believe it? We are almost at a million downloads. So blessed. I want to send a special thank you to Mayor uh, Mary Miller out in Philly, PA. She's a big fan, huge supporter of me, of Beyond the Batch. I appreciate you, Mary. I love you. I thank you. I love you guys, and I will see you same time, same place, right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence.
The biggest news that came out on Monday was the trading of Amari Cooper to the Dallas Cowboys from the Raiders. Take it from two sides. The Raiders clearly trying to rebuild. They're trying to clean house, clean cap room. Um, You know, I I think that Amari is someone that's had a lot of talent that didn't quite fit in as most young players. And he's still young. I mean, he was drafted in 2015. He's been in the league long enough. But young – John Gruden likes ready-made players. John Gruden is not a guy that teaches technique very well. He's a guy that is just a scheme guy. And, you know, I I think developing young players has always been a problem with them. And I think that Amari would still fall on the category of the young young player that still needs to develop. If you look at him this year, I thought Amari played well against Denver. I thought he played pretty well against Cleveland in week four. He's not played all that well. It's a first-round pick for the Raiders as they clearly, John Gruden's running things. This is a complete rebuild. They get a first-round pick for him. Now, as we know, draft picks are like gold, right? But you've got to be able to utilize them well and draft well. Chris Landry brings you Landry Football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com. 